Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. And now we're going to get into the second part two of the Take to Heart series. I mentioned uh, last week that this series, Take to Heart, comes from some verses that I'm going to read to you in a moment, but this is a thematic series. And so we're talking about some of the great, not all of them, but some of the great themes of the book of Revelation. And these are very important themes to us. And as the book opens, Revelation uh, chapter 1 verse 3 puts it this way. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and everyone, three words, take to heart. Who hear it and take to heart what's written in it because the time is near. Okay, he's right at the door, brothers and sisters. He's at the threshold. How many would say amen? But the key is, is that in the midst of the madness that could be swirling around our lives, there are certain things that we take to heart from Jesus. We take them to heart from God. What does take to heart mean? I want to revisit this. It means to internalize. Internalize the word of God. Internalize the important things. To live according to something. To be greatly affected and impacted by something. To hold on to as valuable and life-directing. There are things in the scripture, well, all things in the scripture, but in this series, there are some key things that God wants you to take to heart, okay, to hold on to as valuable and life-directing. So the world will very often uh, uh, be shaped and affected by the circumstances. Christians are not like that. We are shaped and affected by the biblical truths that we take to heart. And that's what this series is all about. And this week, God has something very specific to zero in on. Last week, we said we need to take to heart that he really wants to speak to us. And this week, there's another very, very important truth that God wants to make real to us. I want to go ahead and read um, the text from today. Now, I told you last week, read Revelation 1, 2, and 3, because they really cover the kind of great themes that we're addressing here. But we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 12 this time. So it says, I turned... To see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. 
And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. These are all descriptions of the glorified Christ. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. We know that's the word of God. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. How many know the glory of God is powerful? (laughs) Come on, somebody say amen. His glory is great. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Take it to heart. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise God for that. Hallelujah. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore. Everyone say therefore. Okay, because of who he is. We're going to unpack this. In the next few moments, he says, right, therefore. So, so he's speaking to the things that we should take to heart. Okay? He says, right, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels. That word means messenger or leader. Okay, so the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. This is speaking specifically to leadership, but it's not, it's not um, just focused on leadership. The purpose of the speaking to the angels, and if you did your homework... And read the three, you'll see that every church that he spoke to, he spoke to the angel. He spoke to the leader. I've been emphasizing there is a great responsibility on kingdom leadership. This is a very serious thing that we do. And what we do, we must do to honor God and his word above all else. Jesus speaks to us, but when he speaks to us, it's because he wants to speak to his people. So it's not just relegated to the angel. It's God's, one of his modes of communication. Okay, so he says, he says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So then it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Oh, so this is the end. And then in verse 2, chapter 1, he starts to speak to the churches. Remember, last week we talked about how he speaks specifically. So then he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands. I hold all of the leaders in my right hand. Okay, and it says, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And what that means is that he walks among the churches. 
He walks among the churches. Now, when you read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and when you read this, part of what you should be doing is receiving this as a promise. And the title of today's message is Take to Heart That He Keeps His Promises. How many believe that Jesus keeps his promises? Come on, put your hands together. This is a very, very important thing. We need to take to heart that Jesus keeps his promises. What he says, he will do. How many would say amen? And he's making a very important promise to us that we have to take to heart. What he's saying here is vitally important. And here's here's what he's basically saying. What he's basically saying is we're in his hands and he's in our midst. Okay, that's the promise. The promise is we're in his hands. Could you put that slide up for me? The promise is we're in his hands and he's in our midst. Here's the mystery, he says. He says, I hold the angels of the seven churches in my hands and I walk among the golden lampstands. That's a promise. The promise is is that every church is in the hands of Christ. How many believe that here today? The promise is, is that Jesus is walking among all the churches. Jesus is walking here today. In the unique form that we have, how many know Jesus is among us? How many believe Jesus is in our midst? Somebody say amen. You want to know where Jesus is? He's among the churches. This is a big, big deal for us. We need to take this to heart. We're in his hands. And he's in our midst. Now I just want to go over what a promise is and then I want to pray for a moment. Listen to this. What is a promise? A promise is a pledge, a vow, or a declaration made about the future. Spurgeon put it this way. In the same way the sun never grows weary of shining, nor a stream of flowing, it is God's nature to keep his promises. We live in a different world because in our world, we make promises, but we don't expect anyone to keep them. This is why we have to take his promises to heart. Okay, we have all of this political rhetoric taking place, but we've all, if you've, if you've been alive even for a little while, you'll know that politicians break their promises. We live in a day that people are getting married right now, but when they get married, they stand before an altar and they make an oath before God and say, Lord, I'm going to honor this for better or for worse, in richer or in poor, and people break their promises. People, this, it's the nature of, of humanity right now. There's this expectation now that just because someone says they're going to do something, that doesn't mean they're really going to do it. But how many know Jesus is not like that? Everybody say, Jesus is not like that. Jesus keeps his promises. Could somebody say amen? amen. This is a big deal because we have to take to heart the fact that he always keeps his promises. Nations make peace treaties only to break them. We have lost trust in the world, in a man's word. 
We've lost trust in a sense of commitment. But brothers and sisters, we cannot lose trust in the promises of God. And the promise is, you and I are in his hands. And the promise is, he's in our midst. He walks among us right now. Lift your hands with me. Come on, in your homes, wherever you find yourself. Father, we bless you. And we praise you and we honor you. And we thank you, God, because your word never fails. Lord, you put your word above your name, it says in the scriptures. And God, you keep your promises. You are faithful and true. God, you may not keep them the way we think you should keep them, but you keep your promises. And Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, in a day where we're living in such political and civil unrest, oh God, in, in, a, in, in days, Lord, that we find ourselves with such economic insecurity, Father, we thank you that we're in your hands and you're in our midst, Heavenly Father. Help every person to personalize this word today. Moved by your mighty power, oh God, and speak to every heart in a very specific way. In the mighty name of Jesus, bless this word now. And everyone said, amen and amen. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, part of what Jesus does in this passage is... He focuses on his character, which we talked about last week. And part of the reason that he focuses on his character is so that you and I will never forget who's making the promise. Who's making the promise? The glorified Christ is making the promise. In uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, he has about 20 different descriptions of who he is. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we'll spend all of eternity noticing the glorious facets of who Christ is. We will never get bored with looking at the face of Jesus. Could somebody say amen? It will be glorious and magnificent and wonderful. But I want to touch on just a couple of these. Look, notice in, in, in a Revelation chapter 1, we're talking about the glorified Christ now. When you think about Jesus, remember, you read in the Gospels, and he was the Son of Man, and he came to allow himself to be taken advantage of. He came to allow himself to be slapped and beaten and tortured. He came because he came to pay the price for our sin, but he rose from the dead in glory glory and power. Hallelujah. He is high and lifted up right now. He's not weak. He's mighty, almighty, king of kings, lord of lords, the great I am. And when he speaks in the book of Revelation, now he's speaking from his glorified state. We could spend weeks on the glorified state of Christ. But I want to point out a few things as they speak to right now. Number one, the Bible says here that his eyes are like fire, which means Jesus sees everything. The one who promises, he sees everything. You might, maybe someone did a, a trick on you. Maybe there was a business dealing where you got hoodwinked. Maybe you were backstabbed. Maybe, maybe uh, you're looking at this world and you see so much injustice. Let me tell you something. Jesus sees everything. 
No one cons him. No one tricks him. He is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. People make their schemes and Jesus already sees the beginning and the end. We must take to heart who's making the promises. The other thing it talks about is that he has a long robe, which means that when Jesus rose from the dead, his primary, one of his primary roles as the glorified Christ is to be our priest. Okay, he intercedes for us. Every time you fail, every time you struggle, every time the devil steps up and says, look at the ugliness of the heart of Al Toledo, Jesus steps in and says, I have washed that heart. That heart belongs to me. Come on, somebody say amen. We don't make it because we're good. We make it because we have a priest, hallelujah, who goes before and pleads our case. That's the one who's making the promise. Lastly, it talks about his feet being bronze. Like I said, we can talk so much about this. Bronze in the scriptures is one of the symbols of judgment. When you mix bronze with feet, here's what it says. Jesus is saying, number one, I am ready. I am ready to step and bring judgment. I'm ready. Men do whatever they want to do. Think about how people fill their mouths and they say whatever they want to say as if there is no God. Well, Jesus is saying, take to heart. I am ready to step. Any day, he's going to step. And when he steps, judgment will come and all will be made right. We'll be addressing that a little bit more next week, so I got to pull it back. But what you need to understand is who's making the promise? The glorified Christ is making the promise. He's the glorified Christ. How many would say amen? So as we go to look at, let's break this promise down. I think that this promise is so great and so significant I think that this promise is so important to us to take to heart. What I'm talking about here is how you woke up this morning. You know, I watched one of the debates, presidential debates. And when I watched the debate, it just stressed me out. Did it stress you out? I was stressed. I was like, I've seen debates before, but this is stressful. You know, I'm not even going to get into all the reasons why, but I'm like, good gracious, Lord. I can't believe our nation has come to leaders talking and acting like this. You know, there are a lot of reasons. When you pastor, sometimes you talk to people and, um, and they're not acting right. <laughs> you ever notice people don't act right? And sometimes when people don't act right, as a pastor, the Lord shows you the reason. The Lord shows you some people, they actually have reasons to be angry. They have a past, they have hurt, they have pain. Sometimes people have reasons to be sad. Sometimes people have reasons to be worried. They are real. Christianity never denies reality. Okay, 
What Christianity is all about is the fact that the Holy Spirit of the glorified Christ lives inside of us. And he says, you're in my hands and I'm with you. And we can take to heart. We can walk by faith. You can get up. You could be under a very stressful situation today. And you can go to God and pray and get a hold of a promise of God. And even though things are still crazy, you are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because God has made you strong on the inside. Because you've taken his promises to heart. So let's, let's, let's unpack this very great and important promise, okay? It's a two-part promise. They're both very meaningful. The first is that we're in his hands. Everybody say, I'm in his hands. I hope you believe that you're in his hands today. I hope you understand that you're in his hands. Look at what the Bible says in the book of John about us being in his hands. This is one of the great declarations of Christ in the New Testament. He says, I gave them eternal life. If you're saved, Jesus gave you that eternal life. It says, they shall never perish. When you belong to Christ, you will never perish. You will live forever. We will be with him forever and ever in glory. Somebody say amen. That's good news. Hallelujah. We've been saved, hallelujah. But listen to this. While we're here, no one will snatch them out of what? My hand. Come on, put your hands together and, and say yes, Lord. We are in his hands. How important, how important are you if, if you're in his hands? Whatever's in your hands, that's what you're focused on. You understand? And Jesus is saying, you're in my hands. Look at what he says in Isaiah. When I first got saved, I wrote this verse in my baseball glove. When my life was, was kind of crumbling, this is the verse that kept me. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. Somebody, you need to receive the word of the Lord. He's saying, I will uphold you with what? My righteous right hand. The hand of God is upon his people. We need to receive it. We need to receive the fact that we're in the hands of God. Yes, in 2020, in Chicago, in the COVID crisis, we're in his hands, regardless who, who steps up and becomes president. I see some of you going, See, we need to live differently. We need to take to heart the fact that we're in his hands. Isaiah 49, 16 says this. See, I have engraved you. I have engraved you. It's like a brand. How important are you today? Now notice, he doesn't say you if you're perfect. He doesn't say, you, if you're perfectly holy, you, if you haven't backslidden. In fact, one of the reasons why this is so important, okay, is because if you look at what he says to the churches, we're going to transition into this moment. Not all the churches were, were right. But even when we're not right, how many are thankful? We're in his hands. Hallelujah. When we're weak, we're in his hands. 
When we're sad, we're in his hands. When we're broke, we're in his hands. When we're hurting, we're in his hands. Hallelujah. And you cannot keep a good man down. He falls six times, but hallelujah, he gets up seven. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And one of the prophets, it says, just came into my mind. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for though I fall. I shall arise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Look, real quickly. So right before we prayed, um, uh, the whole leader, you know, the pastors come in and other people come into my office. Heidi, Pastor Christian, came in. Heidi, his wife, uh, came in. And she had Marshall in her hands. And it was funny because when Marshall came in with, with mom, he looked at all of us and you know what he did? He went like this, he went. And it was like, you know what, I'm just good right here. You know, I'm good. Why? Because I'm in mom's hands. I'm in her hands. So here's the key with this. If you're really taking to heart that you're in his hands, then here's the word of the Lord to somebody. If you're in his hands, don't squirm, rest. Some people are squirming way too much. Stop squirming. Remember, you're in his hands, just rest. He didn't say, he didn't panic. He didn't say, I have no idea who all these people are or why they're praying so loud or anything like that. He just said, mom, I'm just good right here. And sometimes that's what a Christian has to do. You know, when I am afraid, the Bible says, I will trust in you. Though the mountains fall in, in, into the sea, I will not fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are what? With me. Somebody has to receive deep into their spirit. Online, you need to receive deep. Stop squirming and rest. Worship your way out of this struggle. Rest your way out of this problem, out of this difficulty. Just rest in his hands. Now you might say, yeah, but it doesn't feel comfortable. Can I tell you? <clears throat> so in our research, we came across a video that I really wanted to play, but the grandpa in me couldn't take it, and I knew my wife for sure couldn't take it. So it was a video on how they teach little babies to swim. Chris, I didn't even tell you about this. So I was mortified. So I don't know how old the baby is. The baby's nine months, a year old, two years old, you know, like somewhere between Tommy's kid's age, somewhere between like nine and two years old. The pool is right there. The instructor takes the baby, Mike and Amy. Guess what she does? She goes like this. The baby drops in the water, goes underwater, and then when the baby falls underwater, they tip, the head is down, the bottom is up. And the baby is going like this, 
Then all of a sudden the baby turns. The instructor jumps in the water and waits. The baby rises, puts their head out of the water, and is going like this, and starts to breathe. And guess what? Baby's all good and they know how to swim. Now you may say, you know why I'm squirming? I'm squirming because I'm drowning. No, you're not. You're not. You're just learning how to swim. Come on, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. She was right there. The crazy thing is, is like I'm watching her right there. I know the baby's okay, but I was absolutely stressed out. See? But here's what God is saying. What, you think that, that the storms, the waters of this world are too much for me? I'm just standing right here. This is nothing but a shallow pool for me. Stop squirming and rest. Come on, raise your hands. We receive your rest. We receive rest in the name of Jesus. We receive rest. The rest of the Lord, the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. We receive it because we're in the hands of the first and the last. Hallelujah. The beginning and the end. We receive your rest in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to understand that it's all good, even though it seems crazy. Secondly, so he says, first of all, uh, uh, um, uh, you're in my hands. Then secondly, he says, I'm in your midst. I'm in your midst. Okay, this is a very, very important object lesson that I don't really get to preach about a lot. One of the great things about going through the Bible is that when you go through the Bible, moments come when God gets to speak to something. And so there's a, a great object lesson here when he says he's in your midst, okay? And the great object mess, uh, uh, um lesson to us is this, is Jesus is in our midst, but where in our midst? He's in the midst of the church. He walks among the churches, okay? Now that's very important to you and I, and it's very important in this day. You need to understand how important it is. The church is the object of Christ's affections. God loves the church. The church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. How many would say amen to that? Right? Jesus loves the church. If you want to know where Jesus is, Jesus is in the church. Jesus is not in the perfect church because no church is perfect. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that he's walking among the churches, and right now one of Satan's schemes is to get us to, to walk away from the church. You need to be careful. Don't just leave the church. How do you leave the church that Jesus hasn't left? We're living in a day where people are listening to the devil and they're being deceived and they're moving away from the body of Christ. Well, look, if you want to be where Jesus is, Jesus is in the church. It might be a unique church. It might be an online church, but Jesus is in the church. Come on, don't be deceived. Where is Jesus? Jesus is in the church. Very, very important point because many times people fall 
into the, into the deception that they could live for God without the church. Well, Jesus is not there. When you go on your own, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is not there. He walks among the churches. You need to stay connected. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Okay, obviously we can't be together. COVID has set things differently. We can't be together physically, but we need to be together spiritually, heart, mind, and soul. Could somebody say amen? Be careful. Listen, be careful of criticizing and coming against the church. Be careful of looking at the church. It's not your church. It's his church. He's the king of the church, and we need to be careful. Some people, your hobby is to criticize the church. I talked about this last week. You need to look in the mirror. People are leaving the church for all kinds of strange and crazy reasons. The craziest reason, look, I can give you about five reasons why people have left, have left our church. Some people have left our church. It do, before I say that, let me ask you a question. Do I mean that someone should never leave a church? No, I don't mean that. And I just want you to know, I was taught and I believe this wholeheartedly. I rejoice when people come and I rejoice when people go. If someone leaves our church, I don't want that no good betrayer. That would be silly. You know why? It's not my church. What, is the, what am I focused on when someone leaves a church? My focus is that God is moving them to another church. Okay? If you leave the church, you better find a church. Because where is Jesus? He's in the midst of the churches. Imperfect churches. Some churches need to be rebuked, but Jesus is there. Some churches need correction, but Jesus is there. Some churches need encouragement. They're struggling. They're poor. But Jesus is there. We have to take that to heart. Not just the fact that we're in his hands, but where is Jesus? That's where you and I need to be. We just, I just had someone say, I'm leaving the church because our church is registered as a 501c3. And fundamentally, what that means is when we are a nonprofit organization, we have to pay taxes, and, you know, uh, for the employees, there's taxes, there's, uh, there's all sorts of things that we need to do. You guys get a tax break in this country if you tithe to the church when you give to the church. The, the government doesn't tell us. Nobody in the government has knocked on my door and told me what to preach. That's different. That's happening in China. If that was happening in China, then we would have to deregister from the state or whatever and say, hey, we're going, we're going with God. And by the way, that might be coming here. Okay? But think about that. People leaving the church over silliness. Take to heart. It's important to your walk with God that you stay close to the church. Where is Jesus? He walks among the churches. <clears throat> Imperfect though they may be, we need to be careful. Don't separate yourself from the church. Don't stray from the church. Jesus walks among the churches. So here's the thing. Here's what I want to say to somebody today. He's in your midst, so don't stray. Stay. Stop straying. 
There's no such thing as a Christian tumbleweed. In fact, never since I've been alive, since I've been a pastor, I can't think of any time where people needed the church of Jesus Christ more. You need the body of believers. We need the whole body. Could somebody put their hands together and say, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking something that's not biblical. Well, I don't like this about the church. Help us, Lord. We're trying to get better. I don't like that about the church. Help us, Jesus. Some people are like, I don't like the color of the carpet. Help, help them, Jesus. Don't stray from the church. He's never stopped walking among the churches. Let me give you a quick history lesson. This will help us with next week. We're going to close in a minute. From 34 AD to 13, up to 313 AD, there was a great persecution on the church. But the Roman persecution of Christians led to the spread of Christianity. You know why? You can persecute us, but you can't stop us from growing. Why? Because Jesus walks among the churches. How many would say amen? Let me, let me walk you through this very quickly. Next. Okay, in 386 A.D., okay, uh, um, God raised up Augustine of Hippo in northern Africa, using him to influence the church for generations to come. He brought a lot of theological clarity. Some people say that, that um, Africa is, uh, is an Islamic nation, but I want you to know, that, that in the New Testament, a Christian already went to Ethiopia, Acts chapter 8. God was raising up great minds before even Muhammad was, was on the scene. God was raising up great minds. In the midst of political turmoil and chaos, guess what? God is raising people up, connecting them to the kingdom of God and spreading and building his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me keep going a little bit more. In 1457, John Huss was martyred. He was, he was Czechol, uh, Czechoslovakian. And from his death, there was a Moravian missionary movement that was birthed and spread. And you know what the Moravian uh, missionaries were doing? They were selling themselves as slaves into places that had slavery. Why? Because they wanted to bring the gospel to the slaves. No matter how warped and crooked, okay, no matter how degenerate humanity becomes, Jesus is in the church and the gospel is spreading and the kingdom of God is moving and power, Jesus walks among his people. So you need the big picture perspective. You need to see the heaven, that earth is not heaven. And heaven is not earth. We live in a fallen world. But even in this fallen world, one day it won't be fallen anymore because we're going to get a new heavens and a new earth. Next, a little bit more. We'll be closing. 1521, when the church is at a low point, the church was so backslidden and so warped, okay, during the 1500s, hundreds, 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 God raises Martin Luther to bring reformation. He says the righteous will live by faith. We're here today. 
because of that great move of God. In the darkest of times, brothers and sisters, he walks among the churches. He's in our midst. A little bit more, okay? 1750, when America is in civil war and the church needs a great uh, awakening, God raises up Charles Finney. And Charles Finney was one of the greatest revivalists in American history. And he was walking into towns and walking into communities. And the whole town was getting saved and bars were shutting down. The police had nothing to do. How many know we need revival just like in those days? And the, come on, put your hands together and say, yes, Lord, send revival to your church. Take it to heart. He walks among the churches. Almost done, a little bit more. 1906 to 1914, there was a great revival in Azusa Street, California. In Azusa, California. It, God uses uh, William Seymour to begin this great revival. The Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ, and many, many other movements that stand were born because of an African-American who looked past, the again, the warpedness of our country, the warpness even of the church. And he sat outside of a classroom and he heard about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and he said, you know what, I need God and he listened. And what he received, he took to a house and started a prayer meeting in a house. And the Spirit of God was poured out on Azusa Street. And the revival went for years and it spread and the church of Jesus Christ exploded. It went all over the world. This mighty move of God. Because God wants to build his church. He's in our midst. He walks among the churches. In the 40s, in Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer resists Hitler's distortion of Christianity. See, look, almost done here. We're going to pray in one moment. I know this is a history lesson, but you need to know this. You need perspective for our days. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. So in Nazi Germany, you know what Hitler was doing? He was twisting Christianity. He was using Christianity to justify the, the, the brutalizing of the Jews of that time. And so God raises up Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he started an underground Bible school and a network of churches and he was uh, uh, eventually martyred. But the kingdom of God marched on. Hitler's gone. Nazi Germany is gone. They all gone, but Jesus is alive and well. Hallelujah. Kings and kingdoms must bow down. Today, listen, today, right now, today, right now, in China, there is so much oppression in China. There's so much oppression of Christians in China. Listen, but in China, the church operates underground. Their sales of, the sales of Bibles are illegal. The display of the cross is not allowed. But right now, the church of Jesus Christ in China is on fire and people are getting saved and there's a great revival. How many know you can't stop the kingdom of God because Jesus walks among the churches? Here's what William Carey, a great missionary said. He said, the future is as bright 
as the promises of God. Stand to your feet in your homes. Stand to your feet. We need to take to heart. We're in his hands. Everybody say, I'm in his hands. This week, I want you to wake up every day and say, I'm in his hands. This week, when you go to, 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 to pray over your food, say, thank you that I'm in your hands and you provide for me. Before you put your head on the pillow tonight, thank him because you're in his hands. You're that important. You're engraved on the palm of his hands. It, it's, you're that important to Jesus right now, regardless of what you're going through. He's right there in the pool with you. And as the body of Christ, we belong to something bigger than we are. As the body of Christ, he's in our midst. He's with the church, and we need to love what Jesus loves. What does Jesus love? He loves the church. He loves his bride, even though it's imperfect. And so I want to pray for two things as we go out. I want to pray for rest. And I want to pray for revival. So with hands raised, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for supernatural rest. God, I pray that strongholds of fear would be broken right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that strongholds of worry and doubt and unbelief and condemnation, whoever feels like Jesus doesn't love them because they failed, God, speak to them and say, you're in my hands. I won't let you go. I pray for rest. I pray for those that are squirming. In the name of Jesus, we pray for rest, oh God supernatural rest for the people of God. Let the body of Christ rest today, oh God. Let moms and dads rest. Let single people rest. Let our teenagers rest in the name of Jesus. We will not fear. We will rest in the hands of our God. We receive rest hallelujah Jesus we receive rest come on say I receive it I receive it I receive it oh God hallelujah Jesus hallelujah now we want to pray for the church and I want to pray God give us a love for the church God help us oh Lord to not get a silly nitpicky or foolish Help us not to listen, oh God, to the lies of the enemy, oh God. Help every Christian to connect to a local body, oh Lord. You said you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Remove that critical, unholy spirit of the church. When we see things wrong, God, help us to pray, oh God. Send revival. Revival. 